Happy Sunday morning, everybody. Welcome to Heartland Church Online. My name is Dugan. I'm so glad you chose to join us this morning. Welcome to the kickoff, the launch, the week number one of our brand new series entitled Summer in the Psalms. And yes, there is a parody of Summer in the City on its way that I'm currently working on. Uh, as you can tell from this, uh, the title of our new series, we are going to be spending the entire summer breaking down the theological messages in the movie The Matrix. Um, just kidding, we're not going to do that. Although, side note, I just discovered like 60% of our staff has not seen The Matrix, and I almost quit on the spot. So please uh, start writing John McNary emails demanding we have a staff day watching The Matrix because it's a great movie. Anyway, I digress. Uh, as you can imagine from the title, we are going to spend the entire summer in the book of Psalms. We are going to start at Psalm 1, 1, and go all the way to Psalm 150 and finish the entire book of Psalms over this summer. Uh, we wanted to help equip you to do that instead of just saying, hey, go read the entire book this summer, although that, I guess would be an appropriate challenge. Uh, instead, we have created a YouVersion Bible app study to help you keep on track with reading uh, what you need to read every single day, every single week to complete the entire book of Psalms within the next seven weeks in the series that we are currently in. So if you, on your smartphone, go to the App Store, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and uh, find our study, which will show a screenshot of our study here so that you can see what our study looks like. The Heartland Sun Prairie Summer, uh, uh, Summer in the Psalms reading plan. And then you can start the plan and you'll get updates every day to say, hey, read this these many chapters, read these many chapters, so that we can all read the whole book of Psalms together. So excited. Uh, the other benefit of doing that is that every teaching you watch uh, beginning next week will be about a psalm from the previous week's teachings. Does that make sense? So uh, every time when you keep up with your reading plan and then watch the teaching on Sunday morning, uh, you will see a, a teaching based on one of the psalms that you read that previous week. So uh, you're going to want to try to keep up. Even if you get behind, try to catch up. Version is very good at helping you do that. Uh, for this week, uh, because we're just starting out and we haven't started the reading plan yet, I'm just going to kind of do like a general overview of the book of Psalms and then just walk through the first two chapters because chapter one and chapter two of Psalms actually give us a, a mini snapshot of the book in its entirety, which I'll explain a little bit more as we get into it. Uh, before I jump into that, I need to give a special shout out and I want to say hi to Finley. I want to say good morning to Finley and Colton. I'm told that every time they walk watch me preach on their computer screen, Finley tries to talk to me and I don't talk back. And I'm so sorry, Finley, uh, it's because I, I can't hear you, but I wish I could hear you. But I want to say hi now, Finley and Colton, I'm so glad you guys are watching. You're awesome. Enjoy your breakfast, enjoy your cereal or Pop-Tarts. Uh, and if you don't have sweet cereal, tell your mom and dad to get you sweet cereal right now. Say, Dugan said so. Get the Cocoa Puffs, Ryan and Danielle, now. Okay, all right, Finley, so glad you're watching. Much love. All right, so let's talk about the book of Psalms. It is arguably uh, the most famous book in all of Scripture. I believe this is probably most likely due to the fact that Psalms is a collection of passages written by a vast majority of wide variety of people. It's not a narrative that you have to start at the beginning and read in the correct order or complete work by a single person that you have to understand certain contexts about that person or what they were writing about. It is a collection of poems, of songs, all put together by a variety of different authors. And so because of this, that means that we can jump around uh, 
kind of the book of Psalms and read various different poems that were written and receive encouragement or wisdom or perspective or challenge at any given time in any given season of our life, which is why, as I said, it's arguably the most famous book in all of Scripture. This is why so many people can quote Psalms even if they're not aware of it. I would say even people who don't believe in or care about God or maybe have never even stepped foot in a church might be familiar with phrases like, the Lord is my shepherd, or my God, why have you forsaken me, or the earth and the Lord in every, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And those of you who might have grown up in church or might be familiar or a follower of Jesus, you'd recognize phrases like, the Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. The Lord is my rock. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Your, lamp, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light on my path. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. And this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Every single one of those, and so many more that you would recognize, all are direct, direct quotes from the book of Psalms. Now, the unique thing about the book of Psalms compared to, say, the book of Proverbs or a lot of other ancient collections of poetry is that Psalms is specifically a collection of musical poetry. Uh, the Hebrew word for psalm is the Hebrew word mizmor. Everybody say mizmor. Good. Mizmor, which means something sung. It's also implied, based on the root word of mizmor, it's implied that this singing was accompanied by musical instruments. So Psalms, the book of Psalms, is the first ever biblical hymnal. It's like a, the, an ancient, it's the original SoundCloud, it's the first ever mixtape, the first ever compilation album is the book of Psalms, because every single poem that was written was meant to be accompanied, meant to be sung and accompanied by a musical instrument. Now, most of us probably think of uh, King David having written the book of Psalms. That's not true. It's very possible he wrote a majority of the Psalms. There are certainly a number of them that are directly attributed, and we know for a fact that King David wrote them. Uh, oftentimes, you'll see this phrase as you're reading through this summer. You'll see a phrase um, that says, a song of David. Um, this could mean that every single one of those that says a song of David was written by David. It's very, very possible. However, theologians recently are wondering because the Hebrew word for of also can mean for and also can mean in a matter of or suitable to. Meaning, that little word, a song of David, could mean that people wrote a psalm uh, in tribute to David or in honor of him uh, because he was known for being a musician, known for being a poet, known for being a psalmist. Um, so it's very possible the ones we think were written by David actually were other people writing uh, you know, in the style of David or writing as a tribute to him, having you know, been known to be a worshiper, having written so many of these, which means Psalms is also the first tribute album ever. So we have compilation album, mixtape, tribute album, all that kind of thing in the book of Psalms. But as I said, there are numerous other authors of some of the Psalms that we read about, including Asaph, a uh, man named Ethan, a man named Haman, uh, the Korahites, Solomon, Moses, many, many others all wrote at least one Psalm that's contained in this collection. Uh, a commentary I was reading this week about Psalms says this, says, no other collection from the ancient Near East offers the variety in types of songs or exhibits the degree of internal organization that is increasingly recognized in Psalms. So even outside of, of the Christian belief, there are people who recognize the importance of this collection. Uh, it goes on to say, more importantly, theological context of Psalms consistently exalts Yahweh, the God of Israel, to the exclusion of all other deities calling for the worship of, of Yahweh alone, even among Israel's neighbors. 
So the theme, the thread, throughout all of these collections having been written over a you know, big period of time by many, many different people is the praise, the worship, the focus, the knowing of our Heavenly Father, Yahweh. Now, uh, unlike most music or poetry that we might be accustomed to from a uh, you know, Western English uh, perspective, most ancient poems, most ancient music did not focus on rhyming. That wasn't really important to them, was rhyming. Instead, what they focused on were things like repetition. In fact, in the ancient world or ancient text, repeating something more than once was like adding an exclamation point. It just brought uh, importance and focus and power to whatever you were saying. So you'll see in the book of Psalms as we read through it, there's repetition, there's contrasts, and there's metaphorical comparisons. This was kind of the nature of uh, poems, of songs in the ancient world, and this is something, as I said, you'll see this entire summer as we're studying Psalms, you'll see a lot of repetition, you'll see a lot of contrast, and you'll see a lot of comparisons using for metaphor to uh, drive home a point. Interestingly enough, this is actually very similar to how Jesus taught. When Jesus spoke, when Jesus taught, he used these three things time and time again. He repeated himself when he wanted to emphasize something. He would contrast things when wanting to get a point across. And he would use uh, comparison metaphors, especially in parables or when trying to compare the kingdom of heaven to the kingdom of earth. This is what Jesus used time and time again was this ancient um, use of poetry, ancient use of song. And Jesus himself is, uh, is cited as quoting from the book of Psalms numerous times. The disciples, the apostles, also quoted from the book of Psalms. Uh, Psalms contains a number of prophecies, and it is the perfect bridge between the Old and the New Testament, and as we'll see, also contains prophecies about Jesus himself. Uh, there are a number of different genres of, of psalms. They're not all, you know, happy-go-lucky, rainbow, dancing in a field uh, psalms. There's a whole bunch of uh, different ones. Uh, one of the most common ones are songs of lament. In fact, over one-third of the entire book of collection of psalms are lament psalms. Uh, there's also psalms of praise. Also, that uh, contains over uh, uh, one-third. So over two-thirds are lament or praise, and then the rest are contained uh, of psalms uh, with the genre of wisdom or thanksgiving, reflection on God's mighty acts, celebration of God's revelation, worship, and more. And this is important to understand, the musical element of this book. As we enter into the summer, uh, diving deep into this entire book, reading the entire thing, digging deep into some specific psalms, we need to understand the power of music. Music has been one of the greatest mediums of emotion and poetry and relationship and story since the first human banged one rock against another rock. It's estimated that the first musical instrument was a flute found in Germany made from bird bone and mammoth ivory, which is between 42,000 and 43,000 years old. Here's a picture of this flute that is estimated to be dated between 42 and 43,000 years old. And right after they discover it, Lizzo showed up and busted out this sick solo. It was really great. That's not true. She didn't do that. But did you know she played the flute? She's so good. It's crazy. Anyway, uh, and music has remained popular ever since. In ancient times, since the first ever musical instrument, first ever drum was established, Music has become such a popular part of our everyday lives. In fact, uh, even as Americans, uh, it's become popular. One of the uh, uh, focuses that I've been doing in my life over these past couple months has been wanting to immerse myself in understanding better uh, the Black Lives Matter movement and black culture. Um, if, you, if you didn't hear John's message entitled, we're going to talk about it from a couple weeks ago, 
stop watching me right now and go back and watch that because the words that John spoke as I sat in this room when he spoke them were uh, incredibly true for me as a man, as a Christian, as a white person, and uh, I echo uh, tenfold everything he spoke about. But uh, as a staff, even before John spoke that, as we uh, you know, talked as a staff, as I talked to my friends and Lindsay, um, I was so motivated, so amped up to uh, stop being apathetic uh, about the system change that needs to happen in our country. And so I just wanted to educate myself. And so my podcast game changed, my music game changed, my book reading changed as I swapped to wanting to just start filling my mind and filling my spirit with things that were going to teach me, that were going to make me uncomfortable, that were going to make me ask questions, um, that were going to challenge me, uh, force me to admit and acknowledge and own and apologize things about myself that I needed to. Um, so, And it's been uh, powerful, so powerful to immerse myself in some of these resources. So just a couple that I couldn't not share with you that uh, please go uh, experience these yourself. Uh, the Netflix documentary 13th, my goodness, was powerful and uncomfortable and sobering and motivating uh, to, to complete this documentary and then want to start getting some stuff done. Uh, similarly, the documentary on Amazon Prime called Free Meek uh, about the rapper Meek Mill. Uh, cannot uh, encourage you enough to watch that. The podcast Black Like Me, which you can find actually on a resources page that uh, John talks about in his message on our Heartland webpage. Please go follow all those resources, get all those resources. Uh, but Dr. Alex Gee uh, in his podcast Black Like Me, uh, just so powerful. The last episode posted where he had a conversation with a fellow pastor uh, uh, her and, and, and Dr. Gee, their conversation was, again, sobering, powerful, motivating, humbling, eye-opening. Uh, please go listen to that. Uh, follow at rachel.cargill on Instagram. Powerful, powerful stuff. Dr. Marcus Allen, uh, who's in the community at a, a Baptist church here. He's a pastor at a Baptist church. Um, also, I mean, listen to this song, Now in, now in the, wait, Snow on the Bluff by J. Cole that just came out, just his perspective on it is amazing. All that to say, I'm sorry, okay, I took a little bunny trail, I'm going to hop off that. Um, all that to say is I've been immersing myself. One of the resources that uh, I found most interesting, most powerful, is the podcast entitled 1619. Um, it's only five episodes, they're not very long, and it literally traces from the beginning of slavery, from the beginning of um, English citizens coming to America uh, bringing slaves, the kidnapping and the transport of slaves, all the way up into modern times and how that, that attitude, that perspective of slavery really has continued just in a different medium. Also, I could, in the 13th documentary. Uh, the third episode of this podcast, 1619, is entitled The Birth of American Music. And it was absolutely fascinating to listen to the wisdom and the truth and the data that talks about the origin of American music can be attributed to slaves, to African Americans, where um, the origins of white people making music was directly drawn on the influence of the music that black people created themselves and the worship music that they created as they uh, were experiencing slavery and even after that. So powerful. Because so, the only music that white people brought was from England. And so that was, you know, been there, done that. But the origin, the creation, the root of what we now call our American music can be tracked all the way back to the creation of song by people of color 
hundreds of years ago. So fascinating. Listen to the whole thing, but that episode especially was so powerful to me as I thought about the power of music can be traced and attributed to the slaves as they made, uh, created their own music um, to worship God, to bond with each other, to get through hardships. So anyway, amazing, amazing podcast. Go listen to it. But music, it's, it's so important to me. It's, it's like constantly a part of my life. Uh, my first ever cassette tape that I ever owned was Ace of Bass, The Sign, Still solid. Come on, that's like a great album. Uh, first CD I ever owned was Enema of the State by Blink-182 because, because the song What's My Age Again changed my life, literally. I, first time I heard it, it introduced me to punk rock, and I've never been the same since. I remember I bought the, with my own money, went into Best Buy. My, mom, my mommy took me, and I bought the album. Uh, and my first concert was uh, DC Talk with my dad. The, <laughs> the Supernatural Tour. I went with some buds, but we were too young, so my dad came along. Thanks, Pops, for the tour. So anyway, I was, first cassette, first CD, first concert. I wanted to ask some of our staff the same thing and, and share the embarrassing results with you. I, I didn't have time for every single staff member. I'm sorry. Uh, I got all of your answers, and they're so wonderful, but just for time, I'll just tell you a few. So first, uh, first John McNary, our lead pastor, uh, John Bethany McNary. Uh, his first cassette was Tiffany. I think we're alone now because you like that song. That's a good song, John. Well done. First CD was Diamond Rio Greatest Hits, and first concert was Johnny Cash. That's a good spread, dude. I, I respect that spread for sure. Uh, John, actually, the first concert was in Folsom Prison. John was incarcerated. I'm just kidding. He was in a prison. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, all right. Sharon, my mom, director of our kids' ministry, uh, her first album vinyl, 45, was Let's Get Together from the original Parent Trap. She uh, was around with 45s because she's the wisest staff member on our staff. Uh, and she said her first concert was The Monkees. Davy Jones, that's great, man. That's a great first concert. Uh, Melissa Shotwell, director of our wonderfully main ministry. No cassette, but first CD was either The Eagles' Greatest Hits or No Doubt Tragic Kingdom. I hope it was No Doubt because that's a great album. And first concert was either 311 or Toby Keith. There's a chasm between those two <laughs> musical artists. I really hope it was 311 because they're, they're good. Transistor was good. Uh, Sarah Reese, our women's ministry director, first cassette was Walking on Sunshine by Katrina and the Waves. She said it came with her first Barbie. I didn't, I didn't know albums used to come with Barbies. That's cool. First CD was the Bodyguard soundtrack, and first concert was Boys to Men. Well done, Sarah. That's great. Uh, Ashley, her first cassette was Acapella Kids, which is acapella hymns sung by kids. Okay, first CD was Michael W. Smith, Go West Young Men, and first concert with Stephen Curtis Chapman. She goes, clearly I was a Christian school kid. Yeah, very good, Asher, very pure and Christian. Uh, Jenna Vannervelli, our Connections Director, first cassette was Beach Boys, Summer Dreams. Well done. First CD was Alanis Morissette, Jagged Little Pill, or TLC, and TLC, it was both. Both Alanis Morissette, TLC, both solid options, Jenna, well done. And first concert was Ario Speedwagon with her parents, but then first concert on your own was John Mayer with your friends. That, that, that's, a good, that's a good mix, Jen. I approve of all that. Uh, Brent Decker, our worship music director. Let's see the origins of, of his music. Uh, first cassette was Carmen. <laughs> um, if, you don't, if you don't know who Carmen is, <laughs> I listen to Carmen too. Carmen in like the 80s and 90s was like, like a tax accountant or rental car service guy who just walked on stage and sang Christian music. Like, wore a weird, like, maroon suit and had crop, like, slicked hair. And <laughs> Carmen, we're marching, we're moving on into the darkness. Anyway, yeah, Carmen, if you don't know who he is, 
You're welcome. You're better off for it. Uh, first CD was Jump 5 for Brent, and first concert was DC Talk, also very Christian. Brent and Ashley leading uh, the Christian charge in music. Uh, Hannah Decker, Brent's wife, said she's too full of youth to have had a cassette tape. Cool. Thanks, Hannah. That's nice. First CD and first concert, same thing, Hilary Duff. Nailed it. Uh, Jake said his first cassette was The Offspring, solid choice, uh, but he had to hide it from his parents, so he only listened to it on his Walkman with his headphones in. First CD was uh, Boys to Men because he liked the song It's So Hard to Say Goodbye, which he sings every time we end the workday here. And first concert for the win was Meatloaf. Well done, Jake. Uh, he said he was 12 when he saw Meatloaf, but he had to go with his cousin to chaperone, but she just ditched him with her boyfriend for three hours at the concert. But he got to see Meatloaf. I would do anything for love. That's a good jam, dude. I like that. All right, so there's some staff picks. Please make fun of them for their first cassette, CD, and concert. Um, and now those are great examples of music, but now it's time to talk about 150 songs in the Book of Psalms. We are going to start, like I said, with one and two. So let's jump in. Uh, you can look, get your app, get Psalm 1-1 or uh, your Bible if you want to open your Bible. But here we go. I'm just going to read through Psalm 1 and then Psalm 2 in its entirety, and then we'll break it down a little bit. Here we go. Psalm 1, Book 1 says, blessed is the man who does not walk in, counsel, in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. On to Psalm 2, verse 1. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs, the Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I've installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today, I have become your father. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise, be warned. You rulers of earth, serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son or he will be angry and your way will lead to destruction for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. So there you go. We, we're in it. We've started. The, the gun went off. We are moving. Psalms 1 and Psalm 2. As I said, both of these kind of sum up the entirety of the book of Psalms in this way, in that Psalm chapter 1, we look at a life devoted to God, and Psalm chapter 2, a life in rebellion to God. And again, there are a variety of genres in the entire book of Psalms, but these first two chapters teach us two important things, which is the life on the path of righteousness with and towards God, and a life on the path away from God in opposition to him. One leads towards life and joy and happiness. The other leads towards destruction. So, uh, as I said, I just want to walk through these first two very briefly, point out a couple of things. First, let's spend some time in Psalms chapter 1. 
Uh, the first two verses, right off the bat, Psalm 1-1 and Psalm 1-2 outline what a righteous person does not do and what a righteous person does. It contrasts, again, this is a theme, the contrast in the book of Psalms, good and evil, life and death, blessing and curse, happiness and destruction. What's, I, what's so interesting about the very first verse of Psalm 1 is it illustrates the incredible importance of the kinds of people we surround ourselves with. It says, blessed is the one who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Like right off the bat, we are taught the importance of our community, the people that we surround ourselves with. I once heard a very wise person say, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Because the people that we surround ourselves with can lead us to a life with God, of hope, of joy, of peace, or the exact opposite. And Psalms teaches us that the righteous person discerns the difference between the counsel of the godly and the counsel of the ungodly. We sometimes don't even consider this. Oftentimes when people speak advice or theories or perspective or wisdom into our life, Psalms teaches us, hey, we need to have the perspective, the discernment. We need to be in communion with God's Holy Spirit to say, is this godly counsel or wicked counsel? It also teaches us in these first few verses that there is a blessing for those who immerse themselves in God's law, in God's word, in God's guidance. Now, the term law, we are kind of resistant to. It feels very heavy. It feels very like obligation. It feels like a checklist of things to do and not do. But the law of God is the most loving thing God can offer us. I'll talk about this in a minute. But God, as our heavenly father, when he teaches us to live, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, which is what the law is in, in reference to in this context, the Torah is filled with rules, yes, but rules from a loving father saying, I created you, I knit you together. This is literally the way to live the best life possible. And so we, so we are told in Psalm 1 that we are blessed when we live our lives embedded in this law. The word blessed translates from the Hebrew word esher. Everybody say esher. I know, if, if you're falling asleep because I talked about music, I'm sorry. Everybody say Escher, uh, which is the word blessed. And it has the idea of happiness or contentment. In fact, Escher comes from the Hebrew word ashar, which at its root means to be straight or to be right. Like when we are blessed, it's not just like you'll feel good in this moment or you'll have a moment of joy. He is saying your life will be balanced. Your path will be straight. This word blessed means supremely happy and fulfilled. Not necessarily based on our circumstances, but based on the presence of God in our innermost life. Also notice in this book, uh, the psalmist writes, it's not blessed is the king, blessed is the scholar, blessed is the rich. He said, blessed is the one. Some, some of your translations might say blessed is the man, but in that context, that was just a term for all humanity. Blessed is the one. This kind of happiness, this kind of contentedness, this fulfillment can and is attained by the poor, the forgotten, the obscure, you, me. We can attain this blessedness, similar to how Jesus later on in the Sermon on the Mount would say, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek. It also has this kind of uh, uh, trans transition as it talks about walking and standing and sitting. That we walk, we stand, and then we sit. And again, this could be on both different, uh, two different paths. When it comes to sin, first we might start walking in a way of sin. Then we might find ourselves standing in a way of sin if we're not careful. And then if we're not further careful, continue to give in, we might be sitting wallowing. At the same time, we can do the opposite in God's presence. We begin by walking in his presence, walking in his way, in the law, being obedient to him. 
And as we practice that, then we find ourselves standing, grounded, rooted in the way that God has called us to live. And then as we continue to press in, we then sit, we rest in the life that God has called us to. I love when it talks about the uh, meditation of God's scripture. That as we sit, as we meditate in the law of God. Now meditate doesn't just mean go read your Bible and check it off the list and great, you did it for the day. Meditation means sitting with it. I love in the, in the, in the text, in verse 2 it says, he meditates on the law day and night. I love that. It says night too, meaning you can't read your Bible at night. You know, meditation on scripture isn't just like go read the thing and think about it and then great, check that off the list. It's like, no, no, no. Read scripture and then just think about it. All, all day, all night, just think about it. While you're driving, while you're working, while you're working out, while you're playing, while you're cooking, while you're cleaning, whatever you're doing, think about Scripture. Let it just like mull over in your brain, and as you do it, God is going to bring things to mind. God is going to speak to you, speak things to you, and that is going to keep you on the right path. I love verse 3, where it says, Delighting in God's law and meditating on it gives us life like a water gives life to a tree. Now consider the context that this was written in. This was written uh, to an Israeli audience who lived in a mostly desert land. Like the land of Israel is mostly desert. And in that kind of climate, water is literally the difference between life and death. Meaning the life that we gain from meditating on God's word, on his law, is the difference between life and death when it comes to our soul. I was thinking about if you're lost in the desert, not lost, you're just in the desert, and you see water somewhere, you're going to go to that water, right? You're going to say, okay, I'm in the desert, I see water, that's the difference between life and death, I need to go to that water. And yet so many times I find myself in a season of life where I'm hurting or empty or thirsting for God, but I'm angry that he's not where I am. And I'm like, Lord, why, how, why isn't there water here? Why can't you, you know, fill me here? Meanwhile, God's like, hey, you, you've wandered. You've made choices, your thoughts, your actions. You're in the desert. You need to come back to me. Repent, return back to me. Because when we do so, we will find the water of life. And when we do so, as verse 3 says, we will prosper. It doesn't always mean things are going to be happy or circumstantially good. It doesn't mean perfection. It doesn't mean a life without pain or difficulty. But this kind of prospering, Similar to the metaphor that we just understood is the kind that comes when we bear fruit in our lives. As we're told, uh, we are a, a tree, much like a tree receiving water in the desert, we receive our water, our life from the law, from God's word as we meditate, as we read it. And the word prosper in this context is actually not often attributed to human growth. Most, most often uh, in scripture when they use this Hebrew word, it's, it's about plant growth. It's about crops. It's about plant growing. Again, fitting in with this metaphor of the psalmist saying, listen, as we receive the water of life, we will then bear fruit much like a plant does. And to remind you of the fruit that we bear, that we receive when we meditate in God's law, in Galatians 5, the Apostle Paul says, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So right off the bat, first few sentences of this book that we are going to immerse ourselves into gives us this powerful, powerful picture. Saying, listen, Meditate on God's word. Surround yourself with the people who are going to encourage that and then you will grow. You will experience deep satisfaction. You will bear fruit in your own spirit and to the people around you of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
Now, moving on to Psalm 2, as I said, this contrasts it a little bit, and there's definitely very different language in Psalm 2, talking about God's anger, uh, God's wrath a a little bit, but I want to just point out two verses and then give us kind of a a big picture context of Psalm 2 that I think is really important. I want to look at verse 7, and I'm going to look at verse 12. So first, verse 7. Uh, in Psalm 2, it says, I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Now this has kind of threefold meaning in this context. The first is that in ancient times, kings and rulers over people and over cities were oftentimes thought to be the sons of God because they were in this position of authority, much like God was in authority, so they were thought to be the sons of God. And in scripture, it talks about God appointing leaders. You know, he, he, he anoints uh, judges and he anoints kings and he calls Moses and Abraham, that kind of thing. So in this context, uh, it is saying like these leaders that God has put into place are like God's sons. They are, they are under his leadership, under his authority, they submit to him. But there's this personal element to it where God is saying his people, us, you and I, are not his subjects. We are not his peons. We are not his, you know, just things that he created that he watches. We are his children. And again, this is a theme throughout scripture. Secondly, as I mentioned, those in leadership are under God's love and authority, and especially those whose hearts are devoted to him, like David. And so in Psalm 2, you see God going to bat if people come after one of his kids in leadership, one of his sons in leadership. And the third meaning of this context is a prophetic speaking of the coming Messiah who would be the Son of God. This is a direct prophecy, direct reference to Jesus' coming. So that's verse 7. And then verse 12, jumping ahead, uh, it says, Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you won't be destroyed in your way, for his wrath can flare up in a moment. It says, finishes, the entire thing finishes by saying, Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Now the reason I wanted to look at those two specifically is those are the two only real positive moments in Psalm 2. Again, if you read the whole thing, you're a little like, whoa, okay, Lord, you know, chill out, maybe a little bit. Uh, because the rest of the language is very, very intense, except for Psalm 7 and Psalm 12, uh, 2, 7 and, and 2, 12. And here's what I want to say about this. Because it seems to paint, uh, Psalm 2 seems to paint a slightly con- contradictory picture of God. It's talking about God with this like intense anger, using words like wrath, and yet this deeply personal, intimate, f- familial love between God and people. But I don't think these descriptions contradict themselves when you filter it through the perspective of a heavenly father, of a parent. I think it's giving us a perfect image of the true heart of God. Some of the most passionate, protective, intense people you'll ever meet are parents when it comes to their children. Even if you're an aunt or an uncle, a nanny, a babysitter, any situation where you have children that you care deeply about, there is like a new level, a new notch of protectiveness, of intensity, of passion, and love when it comes to children. This is why we say things like, uh, you know, moms will say like, oh, my protective mama bear came out. That happens with Lindsay all the time. Protective mama bear came out. We'll say things like uh, uh, the special bond between dad, like a daddy-daughter bond or mama's boy. Because there is just this intense, deep, uh, unlike anything else between a parent and their child. And from this passage, this is what I think we see. A loving parent can feel intense anger towards anyone who wants to harm their child. 
And as we read in Psalm chapter 2, the Lord's like, I will go to bat for anybody that comes against my children. In a similar way, we are sometimes the recipient of God's anger when we do something that puts us in danger. Again, this is reminiscent of a healthy, good parent. When a young child picks up the scissors or gets close to the stove, a parent will not hesitate to scream at full volume to put it down or get away. They're not doing this out of rage towards the child. They're doing it out of love, wanting to protect them. In a similar way, an older child who makes poor decisions when it comes to drinking or drugs at a party or driving past curfew on a school night will receive intense anger from their parent, not just because they want to be angry, but because of their love for that child wanting to protect them, wanting them to live the safest, the best, most vibrant life possible. And this is the kind of love that God has for us. That parent doesn't do that to make them feel bad. God doesn't do this in order to want to like get some joy out of punishing us. He is doing it out of, out of his deep love for us. And that is seen in verse 7 and verse 12. Where yes, God is wrathful sometimes. God is passionate. God is intense. Sometimes with us, sometimes with those who are against his children. But either way, the motivation is that of a heavenly father. A loving heavenly father. So, There is a brief intro to the book of Psalms in Psalms 1 and 2. Once again, please, I encourage you, go uh, download the Bible app, the YouVersion Bible app, subscribe to our study, turn on notifications so that we as a church can all read the entire book of Psalms together in the midst of boating, camping, cabins, grilling, pools, sprinklers. Let's make a commitment, a decision uh, to make the book of Psalms our summer playlist. This will be our summer mixtape, our summer jams. Uh, Please go do that. Uh, Let me pray for us, and then we will conclude. Lord Jesus... Your word tells us that all scripture is God-breathed, meaning the words that we will read throughout this summer, written by many different people in many different seasons of their life, some great, some horrible, um, many different genres. Lord, as we read this book of Psalms, we know that it it is from you. It is from your spirit. It was breathed from your mouth to the pen, the spirits, the pen, the paper of the people who first wrote it. And so, God, I pray uh, through this summer, Lord, you would speak to us in just powerful ways through these songs. As I so often have been moved and spoken to and ministered to through song, that we would experience that same same thing through this book throughout this summer. So, Lord, we surrender these next few weeks to you. Uh, Lord, ask for uh, commitment and devotion that we would overcome apathy and commit to reading through this entire book and in doing so experiencing a new level of you that the end of this summer we would feel a depth to your presence that we'd never known before. And we pray this in your name. Amen.